be seated. Well, if, you're, if you have your Bibles with you, please open them up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. If you don't have them with you tonight, that's okay. We'll have the, the text on the screen for you. Uh, but I wanted to invite you to open up to the, the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2. You know, this is a terrible way to announce good news. I found that firsthand uh, a little over eight years ago or so. Uh, we had uh, just experienced the, the, the birth of our first child, and uh, it had been a long uh, couple of days, and finally he was here. Uh, I had no idea what time it was, but everybody had kind of settled down, and uh, baby was in the room, Julie was in the room, everything was finally calming down. So I decided to go and, and leave the uh, mother-baby room to go and get a refreshment, maybe go and get some food. And as I was walking through the hallways of Clark Memorial Hospital, I decided to stop for a moment and text some of my closest friends to let them know the news that we had, we finally had a baby. Well, after a while, I noticed that I didn't get any responses. And so I, I was wondering what was going on. I didn't get any, hey, we're so happy for you. We didn't get any sort of uh, congrats. We got nothing. So I'm thinking that either the, the hospital has some interference with the way that the structure is built, or I have really terrible friends. And I went back up to the room and, and still no answers, and I look up at the clock, and then I look at my phone and I look at the timestamp of when I sent these texts, and I notice that the time that I sent these texts was 5.30 in the morning. If that weren't bad enough, we were in Jeffersonville, Indiana for this birth, which is Eastern time zone. Most of the people that I texted were my friends in Minnesota in Central Time. So if you're doing your math correctly, yes, I sent out a text announcement of a birth at 4.30 in the morning. It turns out I didn't have terrible friends at all, and there wasn't interference, just that they were sleeping, and that low hum of the buzz wasn't enough to alarm them, or the beep from the text was not enough to shout to them that some good news had indeed happened. They were just sleeping, or they were really upset that I woke them up at 4.30 in the morning. Um, you know, texting an announcement of a birth in the wee hours of a morning is, is not an effective uh, way to communicate the news of my first child being born. Um, but for a group of Israeli shepherds, however, a midnight visit from an angel 
was cause enough to stop everything that they were doing and stand at attention. In the announcement of Jesus' birth, the, the angels here had not only celebrated the joy of what this event represented, but also they wanted to proclaim that an age-old cosmic war was that quietly began in a garden was now quietly coming to an end in a stable. God had gone on the offense and had now delivered a final blow to sin and to death and evil in this world in the the birth of Jesus Christ. And in our text this evening, we can be encouraged that though life may not always seem like it at Christmas, especially at Christmas time, but God showed that he secured the ultimate victory for us through the birth of Jesus Christ. So let's read this text together. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. We're going to go only down to verse 14 uh, tonight. We'll pick up at, at verse 15 tomorrow morning. This is what Luke writes in this account. He said, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Father, thank you for this night that we can dwell upon the goodness of the birth of your Son. Would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and faith to live by, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen. Well, we think of Christmas as a tranquil holiday where it should be a silent night where all is resting, all is quiet. But at its fundamental level, Christmas is a a war. And because of it, God's victory through Christ is secure. So let's look at three ways tonight uh, on what that means for us in our lives today. And first, firstly, we need to hear the proclamation of victory. If you have your, your guides with you on the back, I have an outline. If you wanted to follow that, uh, that would be good as well. But firstly, hear the proclamation of victory. Verse 8 tells us that in the same region that there were shepherds out in the field keeping their flock by night. Now this field was probably about two miles or so away from where Mary and Joseph were were staying in that stable. It would have been an average night for these guys. It would have been no different than any other night that they would have had of keeping these sheep. Uh, they would have taken shifts over the flock so that robbers and wolves, if they had shown up, they could take care of business and get rid of these uh, these predators that would come in here. The shepherds had a very important job out in this field as these shepherds were probably taking care of the sheep that would be used for the sacrifices in the temple. But this ordinary night had a very strange set of circumstances. Verse 9 tells us that an angel appeared to, to them. And at this point, it was only one angel. But if, if it were a shepherd or if it were an apostle or if it were you and me or anybody else in this world, if they would have encountered this angel, they all would have had the same reaction, which is nothing but sheer terror. Angels in Scripture are never portrayed 
as fat little babies that are flying around and looking cute. That's not how Scripture points them to. The Scriptures show an angel as a terrifying being. And if any one of us encountered one, we would fall on the floor thinking that we were certainly doomed. But in spite of this great fear that fills the shepherds, notice the comforting words that the, shep- that the angel gives. He says, fear not. Don't be afraid. It's okay. You know, I got, I got, um, I got bit by a Chinese Sharpei dog one time. And uh, afterward, my friend kept telling me, don't fear this dog. This dog isn't going to hurt you. Well, the dog just bit me. He was, totally, uh, he was totally unpredictable and untrustworthy. So I had absolutely no reason why I could trust this dog not to bite me ever again. But when the, shepherd, when the angels came to tell the shepherds, fear not, they provide a good reason for the shepherds to not be afraid. He tells them that he brings them good news that results in great joy. The word good news that the angel uses here is the same word that we use for gospel. And it usually makes us think of how Jesus' salvation is brought to people who believe in him. That is true, but that's not also not the entire story. Throughout the Old Testament, the word that is used here is often portrayed as a phrase that announces a victory in a battle. And when the angel says that this is good news about a Savior being born, it puts things into clear perspective. When we talk about uh, the term Savior, it usually is used for us to see how Jesus saves us from our sin. But also in the Old Testament, this word Savior is used to denote a warrior or a deliverer that gives their people victory. Look with me in Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. It says, The Lord has taken away judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it should be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. So let's put this into perspective here and see the big pictures. Uh, the big picture here. The shepherds are here on an average night. They encounter this magnificent angel. The glory of the Lord shines around these angels and it is meant to display the power and the prestige and the holiness and the goodness of God. But it also brings out images of God's judgment and God's wrath as well. But he says in all the fear of the appearance of these angels, he brings them good news. That the battle is won. The victory is accomplished in the victory and the birth of Jesus. So what does that mean for us? I think Charles Schultz can help us a bit here on this one. In 1965, the classic holiday cartoon, A, a Charlie Brown Christmas, was released, but not without a little controversy. As they were writing the script... Charles Schultz came into a a, uh, fierce criticism from the studio and its producers about its biblical references. They thought that if if Schultz put a lot of Bible verses into A Charlie Brown Christmas, that it would lose its universal appeal and that it would be destined for future failure. 
But Schultz was, was pretty adamant. He was an avid evangelical at that time. And when the show's uh, director, Bill, Menen Bill Menendez, went to Schultz and asked him, do we really need the Bible in this movie? Schultz responded by saying, if we don't, then who will? And Schultz won, and in perhaps its most famous scene, Schultz displayed the implication of what we're talking about here. But you can't just listen. You have to watch very closely. Let's check it out here for a minute. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Well, I wonder if you caught what Linus did there. Linus is a kid that in every other scene throughout the Peanuts uh, comic strip in the movies constantly has this blanket with him all the time. And it's this blanket that, it, that provides him security. It provides him comfort. Um, but when he read this passage, did, did you see what he did? When he said, fear not, he dropped his blanket. And he continued the passage. And when we see that here, we, we see in that very subtle action, Charles Schultz was telling us something deeply theological, but also profoundly practical that what the angels were telling the shepherds here and telling us by extension is that when we hear the good news of what Jesus has done for us in his birth, in his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection, we can throw our insecurities to the ground. We can throw all of our fears. We can take all of our worries. We can take all of our anxieties, all these things that get us down, the things that, that bother us through the day, the things that we think that we can't get through and get to another day. We can take those things and we can lay them down at the feet of the Savior who has come into the world on our behalf. We can, we can throw down our weapons of self-justification, pride and envy, and all other self-protectors that we use to guard our hearts and our lives, when we encounter the news of Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection, we can have confidence in life that we don't fight this battle alone. And not only do we not fight this battle alone, we don't have to fight at all. Because Christ Jesus coming into the world has fought and won the battle for us. And the only remnant is our old blanket lying on the floor. So we need to hear the proclamation of victory. But second, we also need to know the battle plan. We need to know the battle plan. If you were, to ch if you were charged to lead a group of soldiers into battle, perhaps the best way to ensure your um, severe loss <laughs> would be to go into that battle without a plan. 
In fact, it is a good way to have uh, disaster happen on the battlefield. The battle would be lost very quickly. The overall war might be compromised depending on how important that particular battle is. And the loss of lives of the soldiers under your command would be your responsibility for such an irresponsible approach to battle. So in order to effectively fight a battle, you need to have a plan. And in the spiritual plan for our souls, God had a plan. This war uh, was won, however, in the most unorthodox way. God didn't fight with weapons. He didn't fight with guns. He didn't fight with missiles. He didn't fight with even foot soldiers. This battle was won when the general of his army went and died for the enemy on their behalf. Two weeks ago, we looked at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and if you remember, we looked at a picture of a baby in swaddling cloths, and we, we saw how that was a picture of what God was going to do in Jesus when, he, when his dead body would one day be, be wrapped in, in, in uh, the linen and, and placed into his tomb as a foreshadow. But here in verse 12, Luke reminds us again of these things, but in a different light. That he was, he was telling these shepherds the good news of Jesus' birth and giving them the battle plan of how this war was to go down. That this battle plan would be won by a helpless, dependent baby. And back up to the angel's announcement of this battle plan. Verse 13 tells us that a multitude of heavenly hosts appears. Now when we think about this multitude of the heavenly host, we ought not to think about this as some angelic heavenly choir putting on the first Christmas cantata ever in history. Rather, the text talks about this host being God's entourage. This is a vision of God's army and the appearance of this multitude is God essentially saying, all hands on deck. Now the time is ripe. The time is perfect. Let's storm the bunker because victory is absolutely sure. And what is the battle cry of these angels in verse 14? It's not take up your arms. It's praise and it's worship singing the glory of God and what he has done. But the spectacle of the heavenly army ought to encourage us, but it ought to encourage us in a very unexpected way. Because as this multitude is gearing up to join God and Christ in his cosmic victory over sin and death, they are also gearing up for God's war against you and me. Because when we look at Scripture, Scripture tells us that before knowing Christ, you and I are enemies of God. That we disregard Him. That we sin against Him. That we live lives that display carelessness of who He is and what He has done for us. We were at war with God and maybe didn't even know it. And his just judgment and his wrath was upon us for our sin. But 
his wrath and his judgment was not what he desired for us. Out of love, he did not want us to be at enmity with him. He did not want this war between us and God to continue because he would always win. And if we continued in this sort of way, God would win and we would spend an eternity in eternal torment away from him. So he set out this battle plan at Christmas, which this battle cry sounded that the ultimate victory over our pride, our selfishness, our war against God would be won in a baby that would die on our behalf. See, God offered up the terms of peace, and it was in the shed blood of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So this angelic army ought to be an encouragement for us that it proves that there is armistice available between us and God. We can have that peace with him. Even before you knew it, or even were aware of your sin, God had set forth a battle plan in which his wrath against you would be diverted to another and placed on him because of his love for us. And through Christ, it is freely offered to you in faith or trust in what Christ has done. So we need to know the battle plan. But finally, we also need to receive the results of Christ's victory. Finally, let's receive those results. The other night, Julie and I were doing our couple's devotional, and one of the verses that the authors were talking about was Isaiah 9-6. And in Isaiah 9-6, it gives a, a, a list of attributes of who Jesus would be when he comes. And it says that he's wonderful counselor, mighty God, uh, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And, and the writers of this devotional asked, of these descriptors, which one do you most need at this time of the, the year, in this season? And I was thinking to myself, wow, you know, life is just crazy, especially at Christmas. It's hectic. It, it's stressful. As much as they sing it's the most wonderful time of year, it's not always the most wonderful time of year. And so I said, you know, the Prince of Peace sounds really good right now. And I think for a lot of us, we can relate to the need for the Prince of Peace in our lives and in our hearts, especially at Christmas time. And our text reminds us that regardless of whatever you're going through, that not only is this peace possible for us, but it's ready and available for you. And we can receive it by faith through the victory of Christ that he gave to us at Christmas. Look again at verses 13 and 14. It says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom God is pleased. Notice it just doesn't say among men. It says among those whom God is pleased through faith. These two clauses then show that there are really two results of Christmas. Glory to God and peace among us who love him. 
and have faith in Christ. This kind of peace is three-dimensional. First, it it comes to us when we trust in the finished work of Christ on our behalf. There is an inner individual sense of peace. That inner turmoil that we have can be gone. We don't need to wrestle with the demons that are inside of us that are struggling so much. The shame, the guilt, the the vices, whatever it is, can all be dispelled by the power of this news of Jesus. Second, it results in a community of believers who by all worldly standards should not have peace and unity but are bonded together in love. Because of Christ. And third and finally, and also chiefly, it results in peace with God. It results in being able to have peace with God. Because of the gospel, we can throw down our weapons at Jesus' feet and have genuine fellowship with our Creator who knows everything about us and loves us anyway. We no longer need to fear judgment We can be genuinely loved by the one who knows everything about us and still loves us anyway. When there is no fear of judgment and condemnation, we can have the kind of peace with God that we were created for. This is a terrible way to convey good news. It's inconvenient and it's quite possibly very impersonal. But an army of angels in a field in the middle of the night is epic. And through it, God has announced to us that an age-old war is coming to a very quiet end to the birth of Jesus. And in his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection... Our victory in life is secure. We can put down all of our insecurities, fears, and doubts and follow this one who was born to battle for us at Christmas. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Christmas is often seen as this peaceful time and sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Many of us are struggling with grief. Many of us are struggling financially. Many of us are struggling with anxiety. Many of us, Christmas just brings up memories that perhaps we don't really want to deal with. But at its root, Lord, Christmas tells us that you sent your son to fight on our behalf because of those things. Christmas tells us that you sent Jesus to fight on our behalf so that we can have joy in you regardless of whatever life brings. And so, Father, I pray that if there are people in this room tonight that might be feeling the the Christmas crunch of stress and burdens and just life junk that comes in, that they, like Linus, would take their blankets and throw them at the feet of Jesus and receive what he has done for them. Father, would you do that in their heart? Would you cut away pride? Would you cut away any hindrance that might come to them uh, to come to you? Lord, bring faith to us. Bring joy to us. 
Help us to trust in the one who has gone to fight on our behalf so that we can have not necessarily happiness, but joy in what you have done, God. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask you to stand and ask the worship team to come on up and help us sing one song of, of response.